All right, here we go. We're going to be in the book of Acts this morning, and chapter 19 is where you can turn to. Uh, this is a, a section that I was supposed to preach back in March, and uh, because of everything that happened with COVID, we kind of put Acts on hiatus and, and took a break from it. And it's sure interesting to see all that can change in a couple of months. Kind of where I was going to go with it then and, and where I'm going to go with it now has changed a bit. And uh, in some ways, it's, uh, it's ironic because it's not necessarily been a topic that I'd want to address right now in some ways because I feel like we're, you know, just constantly kind of thinking about some of these things. But it's, it, it fits perfectly. So that we're, this morning, we're going to be looking at something that's really a pretty straightforward passage. It's just a narrative that describes uh, a craftsman named Demetrius who starts to see the influence of the gospel and Christianity coming in in a negative way that's affecting him. And so he stirs some people up to try to come against that and, and creates, uh, you know, what almost becomes a huge riot in, in the town. And uh, as you look at this, uh, we're, on Wednesday, we're starting to kind of get into this idea of uh, studying the Bible and how to do it. Uh, the three big things are observation, interpretation, and application. Well, in this particular passage, the observations are pretty easy and the interpretation is pretty easy. And so where you go with application is kind of the interesting part. So we're going to just dig in here in a second. Real quickly, Paul has been in Ephesus now for over two years, and, and he's been preaching Jesus to people, and it's really made an impact, and so much so that it's starting to cause some problems. And so that's kind of where we pick it up in verse 23. Verse 23 says, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. I like the way Luke phrases that. That's a way of saying that like all heck is about to break loose. No little disturbance means a huge disturbance. And he also mentions uh, that it was concerning a group called the way, which was just a way that Christians were identified at that time. Verse 24 says, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines for Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. They were getting rich. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. As we talked about last week, the temple of Artemis, also known as Diana, was a massive part of Ephesus. It was one of the seven wonders of the world at this time. It was said to have taken like 120 years to build. It was solid marble, uh, like stadium-sized. And it was really the reason that Ephesus was on the map. All of that amounts to a lot of money for these craftsmen who would build uh, trinkets and, and, and memorials and things like that, little shrines and stuff for the worship of Diana, for tourists to buy or for the townspeople to buy. <clears throat> now, even though Demetrius is about to give these guys a rousing speech with several reasons why they needed to rally against the church and specifically Paul, it's pretty clear what Demetrius's real concern is here. Yeah, money, 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 money. And this would be the part where you guys would go, money, but you're not here, so you can't do that. But money is the objective here for him. Of course, he doesn't want to come off as a greedy capitalist because nobody wants to do that. So he comes up with other reasons for everyone to get on board. And this is pretty much what he comes up with. He's going to convince them that as artisans, their reputation is at stake here. The second thing he's going to mention is that their devotion to the worship of the great goddess Artemis could cease if they don't act now. And the third thing he's going to do is challenge their patriotism. 
Do we, do we care that our great city may come to nothing? That, that it might even just, you know, nobody will even come here anymore if this goes away? So everything just hangs in the balance right now. So he continues his, his uh, very persuasive speech in verse 27 where he says, And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. I mean, this sounds serious, right? The sky is basically falling right now, according to Demetrius. What are we going to do about it? Well, in verse 28, he gets the reaction he wants. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. Even some of the Asiarchs, which were the uh, like prominent members of, of town or, or dignitaries of town, even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and urged him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. <laughs> that fascinates me. Most of them didn't even know why they were there that day. Doesn't that sum up so much of what we see today? You know, just, just seeing these people saying, you know, we're mad as uh, hornets and we're not going to take it anymore. I was going to say heck again, but two hecks in one sermon sounds bad, I think. So we're mad as heck and we're not going to take it anymore. Even though we're really not completely sure why we're mad and we definitely don't have all the facts, we're determined to be outraged. This, this idea of outrage culture is actually a thing today. It, it's kind of funny to think about, but people go out of their way to be angry at everything they don't like or that they disagree with. Now, to be fair, there are some things that we should be outraged about. Like when Costco stopped selling Polish dogs. You thought I was going to say something else about masks. No, the Polish dogs. When they went out, I was outraged. I'm still outraged. But people's default is to be irate about everything that inconveniences them or offends them even slightly. And not only to be upset, but to make it known. You've got to make it known to everybody that you can. Christian, in a world full of outrage, be charitable, be kind, be full of grace. Okay, so the crowd is completely out of hand, and they recruit some lucky fellow named Alexander to try to come in and settle everyone down. Verse 33 says, Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand, wanting to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours... They cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours is a long time just to scream into the air, uh, but they were committed to it. And again, some of them didn't even know why they were there or what they were doing. Verse 35 says, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said this, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, 
the courts are open and there are pro-councils. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. And it worked. <laughs> that's, that's remarkable. He just, you know, that's like a, whew, that, that actually worked. The town clerk or the mayor <clears throat> is kind of what this position was diffuse the matter by simply pointing out the true facts of the matter. We're not in danger of losing the temple. Artemis's reputation is, in, is this, this is about the craftsmen and, and, and their money. And, and once he explained that to them, they, they all just kind of disbanded. Basically, and this is what I see people doing quite a bit, these people were all riled up with no place to go. They, they had nothing that was, there was no end in sight to this. They just were riled up. And it's easy to read an account like this and disassociate from it, right? I read this and I think silly pagans, riots are for bar barbarians. You know, this is just what they did back then. They just got upset about things. But it's human nature. We still see this today. People are getting riled up anytime they feel like something important to them is being threatened. That's human nature. So we may not see people filling arenas and screaming for two hours, but we are seeing people get behind their phones and computer screens and do the same thing for hours on end. And if I'm being honest, when I look at this passage, I'm way more like Demetrius than I care to admit. You know, I find clever ways to protect my interests, to protect what's mine, and to manipulate people into to, to making sure that I get the things that I want. <clears throat> and I'm also way more like the angry mob than I care to admit. I find myself getting upset and offended and angry over things I have no control over and things I don't fully understand. Uh, Napoleon Bonaparte once said, men are moved by two levers only, fear and self-interest. Men are moved by two levers only, fear and self-interest. Demetrius figured this out long before Napoleon, and Satan figured it out long before both of them, because you see this as one of his tactics that he uses from the start. People today still have this figured out. And they will use fear and self-interest to control people and to move them where they want them to go for their own benefit. If you want to get people riled up, convince them that they have an enemy who wants to take away their rights, their freedom, and their money, and they will get riled up. And the funny thing here is that Demetrius probably didn't even believe that these things were, were even in jeopardy. These things that he talked about to these guys, these things he brought out, I don't think even really thought they were you know, at stake at all. His main concern seemed to be his personal finances and he needed to recruit allies to do his bidding for him, so he just made stuff up. That's frustrating to think about, but this happens continually. He convinced the town people that Paul and his companions were the enemy and that they were there to take everything from them. All that they held dear was gonna be taken away by Paul and the Christians, and that's all it took them to go to war. He just had to throw out some what-ifs. You know, what-ifs are such a powerful thing. What if? What if they do this? What if this happens? What if that happens? And, and, and people buy in. I am the king of what-ifs. I can do what-ifs all, I can do what-ifs with the best of them, right? I'm doing it right now, you know, and what's going on right now. What if people get mad at the way we're handling things? What if they leave the church? 
What if giving stops? What if I have to go try to get my old job back? What if they're not hiring? What if I have no income? What if I lose my house? What if I starve and die? You know, you just keep running down the road of what ifs. And I can almost hear God saying, hey, Brent, what if you stopped freaking out for a minute and trusted me? Have I ever let you down? Have I ever not taken care of you? Did I not prove how much I love you when I sent my son to the cross to die for you? And you're going to what if out of control over things that probably aren't ever going to happen? Have you ever noticed that, that, that the what ifs that, that we get so worked up about, most of them never even come to pass? Think about all the stuff you've heard on the news or read in social media over the past few months that have gotten you fired up or worried or freaked out. And most of them don't materialize or they turn out to be completely false. And yet we let them control us. They're like these levers that people are constantly using to control us. It's exhausting, quite frankly. I'm tired of being exhausted by things that might not even happen. We need to start choosing trust over turmoil. We need to stop letting the Demetriuses of the world manipulate us and control us. And if we choose faith over fear, and if we choose God's interests over self-interests, we take those levers away from people. We just take them completely away. They can't control us at that point. If we, if we get rid of fear and if we get rid of self-interest and replace it with faith and God's interests, we're in good shape. Talk about real freedom and peace. Those are ours to enjoy in Christ. You know, everything that I, that I think about, you know, oh, this is going to get taken away from me. That's going to get taken away from me. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose that. I stop and think, if God has given these things to me, they're secure. Nobody can take them if they're from God, if he's promised them. Now, there are some things from God that he gives us temporarily that may come and go in life. But the things that he has given us that we know are secure cannot be touched. So I know that God's love and care for me cannot be taken away. I know that my salvation cannot be taken from me. I know that my inheritance cannot be taken from me, that my future home cannot be taken from me because Christ cannot be taken from me. And that's complete freedom. That's something I can rest in. And I wish people understood. I want to be like William Wallace right now and jump on my horse and just ride back and forth and be like, they may take our lives but they cannot take our freedom because they can't take Jesus from us. That's where everything is truly wrapped up for the Christian. In the last few weeks, uh, the pastors here at the door and other pastors out there have been accused of acting cowardly, of being spineless, of being afraid, of cowering behind cameras. We've heard all of these things. And I find it interesting because the truth is that none of the pastors are operating in fear right now. We're not operating in fear. I would argue that we're trusting God, that we're seeking his will, and that we're waiting on him with confidence. We're doing our best not to get sucked into the rhetoric on either side. It reminds me of like, if you've ever driven a car in the winter, you know how the slush piles up on both sides of the lane? And if you get too close to that slush, it'll just pull you off the road on either side into a ditch. 
and I, and I feel like that's what I'm seeing happening right now. There are a lot of people who are, are so afraid of COVID, so afraid that, that they might get it or somebody that they love might get it, that they've, they're worried and focused on it so much that they've gotten pulled into a ditch on one side of the road and they're stuck there. And then there's this other group that even though they wouldn't probably want to identify it as fear, they're, they're so worried that they're going to lose their rights and their freedoms and maybe their money or their comforts or maybe have to get a shot they don't want or whatever it is, wear a mask or whatever, that, that they've been pulled off the road into the other side on, into a ditch and they're stuck there. And, and both groups are operating in fear and what ifs. And that isn't the place for the Christian to be. We need to stay in our lane, right? Stay, stay right in the middle, focused on the road ahead. Focused on the pathway that God has prepared for us. Focused on the finish line. Because isn't that what Jesus did? Hebrews 12 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He was able to get through the shame and the pain and the agony for the joy that was set before him. That's where he kept his eyes. That's where he kept his focus. And that's what we need to do as well. I know some of you are frustrated with us right now and you don't understand the position we've taken, but we are simply living out and believing our theology and we're encouraging you to do the same. You know, for years we have been faithfully preaching the sovereignty of God, that God is in complete control, that he can't be thwarted, that his plan and his purpose will prevail. We've preached this day in and day out for, for, since we started this church. And I, I, I feel like maybe it's just fallen on deaf ears with some people. I don't, I, I don't quite understand. Do you believe that God's purpose and plan will prevail? We do. Do you believe that Jesus commands our destiny? We do. Do you believe that if God is for us, no one, no one, no one, and no thing can come against us and win? Do you believe that? You know, we sing a song that says, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. So till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. I got to tell you, that's a great place to stand. It feels really good to stand in the power of Christ and, and in who he is and what he's done for us. That is freedom. And that's where we're standing right now. And it feels great. The gospel truly does free us from all fear and worry. Because the gospel says that Jesus went to the cross to suffer and to die, to purchase us, to secure us completely. That means we belong to him. He wants us. We're valuable to him. If he did that for us, what's he not going to do for us? What's he going to withhold from us now? When he rose from the grave, he ascended back to the Father, and it says that now he intercedes for us. He's there right now interceding for us. He is mindful of what we're going through. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't forgotten about us. He, he's in this right now with us, and he's going to take care of us. He also said he was preparing a place for us that we're going to go to one day. All this is taken care of. All of it's gone. Our future is completely secure, and we can trust him. You know, Christ is always our example. And I, you think about, consider how he dealt with the adversities and the challenges that he faced. He didn't allow fear or self-interest to control him. He didn't get caught up in the what-ifs. He viewed difficulties as part of the plan of his loving father. And he trusted God even when he didn't like what was happening. And God 
was glorified in all of it. You know, the other day, I'm, I might be stealing somebody else's thunder here, but I got to just go here. Because the other day, the pastors were talking, we got together, and we were talking about that, the passage that, uh, where Jesus is asleep on the boat. And, and all of the, the storm is brewing, and, and things are going crazy. The disciples are freaking out, and Jesus is just sleeping. And they accused him. They got upset with him, and they, they basically accused him of apathy and inaction. Because the storm is raging, and it doesn't appear that he cares at all doesn't appear that he can do anything about it. He's just sleeping. And it made him mad. And in Mark 4, 39, it says, And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And, and it just convicts me to think about that. How many times... I just act like he's asleep at the wheel and I just got to figure this out on my own. That's not true. I have no hope of figuring this out on my own. He has it in control. And he would say to me and he would say to you, peace, be still. Don't be afraid. Have faith. Father, I, I just thank you so much for uh, the, the fact that you are sovereign and in control there is no corner you don't see around there is nothing that takes you by surprise there is never a time when you're asleep at the wheel there's never a time when you have a bad day you know exactly what you're doing in your church right now help us lord i pray to trust you fully to not get caught up in fear and what ifs and all of these things that we get spun out of control with but to fully keep our eye ahead on the prize for the joy that is set before us that we would endure what's going on and trust in the good plan of our Father who loves us and cares for us more than we can ever imagine. Help your people right now to be full of hope, full of joy, full of peace, and not full of fear. And Lord, to take that into the world to the people around us that have none of this right now. We have so much reason right now to be just throwing hope out everywhere we go. May we do that as your people. Uh, Lord, protect your church right now. Bring us back together to, to, to really enjoy each other's fellowship. Even now, right now, as we can, let us do what we can to meet. And we trust you, Lord, and we look forward to what you have for us in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we're back. back. All we're right, back. we're back. I'm worn out, so uh, <laughs> there was a. a um, I don't know if we could possibly even put that up now, but there's a graphic right now that uh, we saw yesterday that got thrown up on on Facebook, and a couple of people shared it with us, and and it, it perfectly kind of describes what what it feels like to to go through this right now as a pastor. I don't know if uh, Jordan can throw it up on the screen, but. Um, Oh, you got rid of it? We'll post it later. <laughs> but it's just like... Uh, Be on Facebook. Yeah. Well, I thought he had it ready. He told me he had it ready. I trusted yes. the vi trusted the vicar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he got rid of it. Just throw him under the bus. We'll, we'll show it later. I know. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Jordan. I thought that was a good, a good segue. <laughs> um, my wife texted me and said she laughed at one of your jokes. Oh. 
So you know, that's, like that's that's no small thing. Yeah, somebody yeah, I don't know, that might have said that we we're, we think we're funnier than we really are the other day. Yeah, and I'm somebody I mean, said and that, that? that somebody laughed at a joke yes. today. So I don't think that's that possible. I think there's no. <laughs> I think our response was we we know we're not funny. <laughs> it just makes us feel more comfortable to <laughs> yeah. act that way. So, we're not funny. Okay, yeah. Only Brent is. <laughs> Jordan came through on the graphic. He said so. Just give him a minute to read it. Yeah. Um, it's something you'll you'll have to, to take a minute to read, but it, it perfectly kind of described um, what all I'm feeling right now. All there. the voices out there, right. and, and all of the different uh, competing ideas, and, and trying to figure out what do we do with this. And, and you know, ultimately, it comes down to the fact that we have to focus on what would God have us do right now, and, and how do we honor Him in this time, and, and seek to please Him, and seek to do His will. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess I just want to say, take comfort in the fact that uh, we're committed to that. We're not unaware of the things that are going on. We're not aware of all the different voices that are out there and all the things that are being said. Um, we love this congregation. Um, mm -hmm. We love the Lord, and we're trying to do our best to uh, to navigate this well and to glorify God in it all. So, yeah. One of the things that, you know, in, in this passage that, you know, talks about there was, like, no little disturbance concerning the way. And so the, the disturbance was was Christianity mm -hmm. yeah and and you know just thinking of kind of current events like this graphic is up here and these are all conversations I think we've probably all had you know over the last couple of weeks with people like we've had every single one of those conversations represented in those bubbles um, probably multiple times and like there, there's a disturbance as as we consider our faith and, and we're calling people to faith and trying to live out and and walk out our own faith like it rubs up against society. It's countercultural. Uh, it's countercultural to to be asleep on the boat right now. Um, and yeah, it, it's just interesting to think that uh, um, Christianity rubs up against culture, and I think we're seeing that to some extent right now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's. I, I thought about this a little bit. It, it threatens non Christians. You know, because the gospel calls. Oh, yeah. you to die mm -hmm. it calls you to, to uh, take up your cross but it threatens Christians too you know I think that that people yeah. think that once they become a Christian you know you're on the right side of it now and it doesn't matter but I see just as many Christians struggling with the things that the gospel asks of us right as I do non-Christians you know come and die is not something people want to hear right now um, well even Christians don't want to hear it. like that that's yeah. I think the biggest disturbance on my end yeah, right now as a pastor and I struggle with it too, but like, it's when you have people that um, that claim this to be their manual, you know what I mean? Um, and, and then when turbulence hits or a storm hits or hard times hit, they question absolutely everything um, and even go against it, even kick against everything that Christ has called us to. Yeah. And that's the part that, that gets puzzling and even frustrating at times is, is to, to see that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I really appreciate seeing the sovereignty of God throughout this whole passage where, you know, Paul started out with a, a kind of a dead end uh, preaching in the synagogue there, and then he moved to the school of Tyrannus and was able to preach for two two years there. And everybody in Asia heard the, the thing. You just see God working in adversity and, and, and in circumstances nobody could have predicted. And here you've just got a full-blown riot, right? And yet... Um, um, and yet God is in control. And, and the interesting thing is, too, is that there's some, I think, that 
and we've heard from them, that think that automatically the, that, the, that, the, that the government and then those under whose authority we live are automatically at odds with the church, right? And yet, it's a town clerk that comes in here, right? And he calms the thing down. But the, the interesting thing about that is he says, you know, we're responsible to Rome for stuff like that, which is also a government. And so the whole thing gets shut down. And so God uses government too. The government is just not automatically antithetical to the church. And I think that sometimes Christians have that idea that if it's right. government, bad, church, good, right? right? And that the government is always the enemy of the church. Not so. The sovereignty of God can work so that the government actually benefits the church. Because if, if you go on, as, as we know, you know, and, and uh, Ephesus became a stronghold of the gospel all throughout Asia for the next, you know, hundreds of years. And uh, it was because of God exercising his sovereignty through a government for the benefit of the gospel. And this is where we, we need to trust God because I've already seen so many things that even though this is, stinks to not meet together and it stinks to have to go through these things, I've already seen God using it for amazing things. And, and you know, five years from now, we're going to look back and think, look at all that God did in his church during this time. Right. And, and we need to not be so short-sighted and just see what's in front of us, but to understand God is actually purifying his church right now in many ways. He's working things out of his church that, that need to be worked out. And, and he's working things out of us that, you know, I've, I've seen in my own life, um, just reorienting some of the things that I have been wrong about, and, mm -hmm. you know, and it, so it's, it's good. Um, but ultimately just trusting that, give him some time and trust. Yeah. <clears throat> to your point, Terry, about, you know, like we tend to think of, you know, church good, government bad. Right. <clears throat> we, we can all get behind the idea to say that, you know, the government is, is full of corrupt people, sinful people, but... The reality is, is, is the like the church is full of <laughs> sinful, corrupt people as well, and so it's, so it's a false dichotomy to yeah. say good, bad. Like we're all sinners in need of a savior, and everything speaking to God's sovereignty is working towards His end. We, we might be sitting, you know, down here scratching our heads, thinking like, what you know, what's tomorrow going to bring, and when are we going to meet again, and what's going to happen with this, and what if that to what you talked about. But God's not sitting on his throne scratching his head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God is sitting on his throne orchestrating everything to work towards his end and, and his means. And, and, like, do we trust that? Do we believe that to be true? Yeah, I mean, last week we saw seven dudes go into a house and get jumped by a demon, and it sparked like, <laughs> yeah. it sparked like this thing in the church. And so, like, there, there, it's not like there's anything that's so defiled in and of itself on earth that God can't do exactly what he wants to through it. Yeah. Mm hmm you know, this whole chap chapter just echoes the sovereignty of God over all kinds of things. De demon, you know, with magicians, right? I mean, where's God in that, right? But he's sovereign over it. Surely God it. wouldn't do something that way. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. This is just like over there. God's stuff is over here. Yep. No, it's all God's right. stuff. Yeah. It's what's, I'll probably butcher it, but what's, what's the, the Abraham Kuyper quote that, that says that, that there's not a single molecule in the entirety of the universe that God doesn't cry out and say, that's mine? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mine. Yeah. Everything is his and under his control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and not only control, but the a verse that you quote and, and talk about in, in our post-discussions uh, oftentimes, Chad, is that not only is he controlling it, but he's controlling it for his glory and for our good right yeah amen even a pandemic yeah lord of the viruses yeah yeah 
Well, uh, we've also had a lot of encouragement from people. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not just been negative stuff. The negative stuff is hard, I'll admit. Um, it gets to you sometimes, but uh, there's been a lot of people that have, have also been extremely encouraging to us. And so we appreciate that very much. Please pray for us. Uh, pray for the church. Pray for wisdom. There's a lot of decisions that need to be made in these next weeks, and, and we want to do it in a way that, like we said, honors God. So, um, again, been said, but if you ever have questions or you want to talk to us about this stuff, please do so. And, um, yeah. Well, these conversations are hard. If, if you're seeing it a different way, we still want to have We still welcome right. having those conversations and those opportunities with you. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's much else going on. So There was a, a prayer request that came in that I, I want to make sure that we got that yeah. while, while you were preaching, and it was from Dion. Uh, and it says, please pray for her sister Val as she recovers from shoulder replacement. Her pain has increased today. Dion's with her now. Okay. Uh, Lord, we pray for uh, Dion and, and pray for Val that you would uh, just help in the recovery, that you would uh, help Dion to be uh, of good assistance to her and take care of her as, as we know that she will. Um, <clears throat> thankful that uh, uh, that you are sovereign even over that over things like surgeries and pain and, and whatnot and so we just pray uh, that you would work uh, as we talked about for your glory and, and for Val's good and we ask it in Jesus name Amen. and Father we do just uh, pray for your church right now we pray that uh, this, this little <clears throat> church in Sun River called the door would flourish that we would be uh, a light to those people in the community that even something like that goes on tomorrow with these, these food boxes being handed out would bring us gospel opportunities. Uh, use us, we pray. Uh, solidify us and unify us and don't let the enemy get a foothold, we pray. Um, thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. Thank you that you promised that hell itself can't prevail against your church. Nothing can come against you, Lord. And we just acknowledge your greatness, your power, and, and that you love us and that you're good to us all the time. We trust that and we look forward to what you have for us uh, coming up. Um, may the saints be encouraged today, Lord. May they be reminded of how good you are, how powerful you are, how awesome you are, and how your plan is unstoppable for each one of us and for your church and for this world. Uh, thank you that there is light at the end of the tunnel, Lord, and a kingdom that we look forward to. Um, thank you so much for securing that for us through your son, Jesus Christ. We know that he suffered and died on the cross so that we could be forgiven and have life. May we fully trust in his death, burial, and resurrection, and who we are in him. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hopefully we see you guys on Wednesday, Wednesday night. Wednesday night, 6.30. Yeah. God bless.